0: Hello, and welcome to this vidcast, which is devoted to cloud accounting, not cloud computing, but cloud accounting. The question is, why this subject? Simply because uh, recently I made a conference on the financial perspectives of cloud computing. Concretely, what do we know about the financial model of the main actors of this industry? Infrastructure providers, software providers, clients, customers, users. At the end of the day, we don't know that much and it's quite difficult to have some reliable, robust and clear information about what's moving on. So I tried to deep dive in the subject and focusing on the big four, the hyperscalers, obviously Amazon, Microsoft, Google and Alibaba, who are really dominant actors on the cloud computing industry. Then you are going to see that the results are quite curious and stunning and raise a number of different questions about the financial transparency. Uh, Basically, in this vidcast, you will have more questions than answers, unfortunately. Let's start discussing about the size of the cloud industry. This is a very big industry. If you look at what is provided by Gartner Group last November, November 2019, this uh, institution considers that the business is going to represent something like 354 billion dollars in 2022, starting from uh, 228 in 2011. If you read the information which is provided by Gardner Group in November 2019 about the business, the markets industry, and its evolution, you have a starting point which is about 228 billion in 2019 as an estimate. Growing up to 355 billion US dollars in 2022. That's absolutely big in relative growth and absolute value. What does it mean? It means that during the next years, the CAGR, the average growth rate of the industry should be about 16% per year. And just to give you an idea, 354 55 billion dollars, it represents about 18.5% of the Canadian gross domestic product in 2019. So it's a very big industry and very fast growing. Now, what's interesting is that within the industry, there are different activities. This is about infrastructure or platform or software and so on and so forth. I'm going to elaborate a little bit on that. And there are also different situations. You have public, private, multi-cloud, sovereign cloud. And also, I'm going to give you some insight about that. IaaS means infrastructure as a service, so basically it is infrastructure, the network itself. But to be able to use a network, you need some middleware, operating systems, how to run databases, and so on and so forth. And this is named platform as a service. On this platform, you can post softwares and it becomes then company's applications named software as a service. And there are also some acronyms. I mentioned one which is given and provided by Gartner, which is BP as a service, business process. When a company decides to outsource some business process such as treasury, payments, payment of the salaries and so on and so forth, it can be sourced from the cloud and it's named business process as a service. Now some definitions on situations. Public cloud does not mean that your information is public. It means that the hosting is simply mutualized. So you share the cloud with some other institutions and organizations. Private means that it's your own cloud but it's more expensive even though it looks a little bit safer at least at first sight. You can also experience a hybrid situation or a multi-cloud situation where user is using a combination of public and private cloud, or different uh, public uh, cloud providers, and so on. Now, the last point is about sovereign. Because data sovereignty is something very important, for example, Europe today is a bit worried about the power of hyperscalers. It started with the Cloud Act in March 2018, and cloud means clarifying lawful overseas use of data. The Cloud Act means that the American government has access to data which are stored overseas, not in the United States, but stored in clouds which are managed by American hyperscalers, which is a little bit a problem for some countries, including Europe. Now, why would companies privilege cloud for their information system as opposed to on-premise, on-site? Well, basically, because it's much easier to manage capacity. You can easily adjust capacity to your actual needs, for example, in terms of storage. You have the mutualization of capacity. And on a financial point of view, you move from capital expenditures, investing in industrial operations, on-premise operations, to OPEX. So it moves from the cash flow statement to the PL when it is a cloud uh, business and activity. What is the impact on the profitability and the performance of the company? You know, the return on capital employed. Interestingly, the denominator is lower because you have less capex and less capital employed, but you have less profit because obviously you have to remunerate the service providers, Amazon and Microsoft. They are not free, far from that. Another advantage is that you're sure that you have access to leading technology and you don't have to do any maintenance. It's provided by these hyperscalers. It's probably easier for collaborative management. And some companies like Slack are proposing some collaborative management tools. Or you have the G Suite at Google, 365 at Microsoft. There's also an impact on physical security. You have to remember that the reason why Netflix progressively moved from on-premise to cloud, it's because there happened to be a fire which destroyed the data center and the company was not able to run the business during three consecutive days. About total costs, it's a bit fuzzy, because if you look at a company like Dropbox, Dropbox was 100% cloud-based, and now they decided to re-insource 90% of their information system capacity, storage, and so on, because they were considering that it was significantly less expensive to do it by themselves. Now we are going to have a look at these big four. Amazon Web Services, Azure at Microsoft, GCP at Google and Alicloud or Alibaba Cloud at Alibaba. And we are going to observe which public information is provided by the big four in their annual report. They are listed companies. Let's start first with Amazon and a little bit of back to the story of Amazon sales and profit. If you look at the graph, in blue you have the sales figure, which is absolutely fantastic, starting from about 0, 25 years ago in the mid-90s. Up to about $280 billion in 2019. It's an outstanding story. Um, the net income is not an outstanding story. It was about zero up to 2014-2015. And it starts being significantly positive in 2016 and 17 and skyrocketing in 2018 and 19. Why? Because of the cloud, we'll be back in a minute. But before we get to the cloud, let's have a look at the retained earnings. You remember in the shareholder's equity, you have capital, an additional paid-in capital, and you have the accumulated profit, which is named retained earnings. Of course, retained earnings means accumulated earnings for Amazon because Amazon never distributed a dollar of dividend. But you understand that it started from zero. It went very negative because the company was generating losses. And you start breaking even in 2009. So the accumulated profit is about zero in 2009, about 15 years after this company started its operations in a significant way. Then it's plateauing and then it starts skyrocketing again in 2018 and nineteen. This is a consequence of Amazon Web Services. On the graph, you have the figures from 2013 to 2019. No information before 2013 because Amazon Web Services was inside the segment, which is North America. Now, we have separate figures from 2013. The sales figure is up. That's normal. Sales are up everywhere at Amazon. But what is very important to observe is that the operating income is a significant contribution to the profitability of the company. Now, if you look at uh, sales of Amazon Web Services as a percentage to total, you understand that it's not big. Of course, it's growing, but it's not big in 2019. The big chunk of business is North America with 60%, 28% for international, and 12% only for Amazon Web Services. But the contribution of the operating profit is a completely different story. Now, you understand that Amazon Web Services was generating an operating profit which was more than North America starting in 2014. But if you look at the last years, definitely international makes losses. They reduce the losses, but it's still losses. North America generates about 7 billion, but Amazon Web Services generates about 9 billion. So, the main contributor of the operating income at Amazon is definitely the cloud business. Then, which kind of accounting information is published by Amazon in its annual report? Audited public information. They publish PL information the sales, the operating income, this is what we observe. Then depreciation and amortization. From 2014 to 2016, we even had some PL information about the stock based compensation. So, the remuneration of your employees through stocks and stock options. They also provide, and you'll see later that it's a very important point balance sheet data. The total of the segment assets, total balance sheet, but something very important for a capital intensive stuff, which is property, plant and equipment. So all your tangible assets, they give some information about the goodwill. You remember that goodwill is about organic versus external growth. And we even have a very important information, which is cash flow statement-based, which is capital expenditures. So you're incrementing your property, plant, and equipment with capital expenditures. How much does the company invest each and every year? This is a fundamental information. Then you can calculate, of course, a return on sales, but you can calculate also a kind of return on assets. You can understand if the EBITDA pays or does not pay the capital expenditures. You can confront capital expenditures and depreciation and amortization to identify if the company is accelerating its investment or plateauing its investment you can deduct from this information plenty of very very relevant information microsoft you remember that microsoft is a big competitor of amazon as far as cloud is concerned you maybe remember that in october 2019 Microsoft proudly announced that they were the winner against Amazon for $10 billion of uh, services provided to the DOD, the Department of Defense in the United States, Project Code GDI. Of course, Microsoft is very well known in the cloud industry for Azure, which is a service, a cloud service. But the company also acquired in October 2018 GitHub for $7.5 billion dollars paid in stocks and GitHub is providing additional services. So Azure is part of the cloud activity, not all of it. Now, what about the sales figure for Microsoft? Um, Total sales for 2019 is about $125 billion. Which is, of course, very big. The operating income earnings before interest and taxes account for 43 billion, so it's an outstanding return on sales. And there is a segment which is named Intelligent Cloud. Good news, it's not stupid cloud. And the sales and revenues for this segment are about 39 billion. Also, very profitable because the operating income is 14 billion. 30% plus in terms of operating income as percentage to sales. And both sales on EBIT are growing. The growth in sales is 6.8 billion and in EBIT is 2.5 billion. Now the question is, how much does Azure represent in this story? In fact, the information is not directly provided. You have a segment which is named Intelligent Cloud and you have two sub-segments. One is named Server Products and Cloud Services. And Another one is named enterprise services. A split? No. Then you are given uh, the revenue, no precise information about uh, server product and cloud, as opposed to enterprise services. But you are provided an information which is about growth. Growth in relative terms, percentage, and in absolute terms, dollars. And you know that enterprise services grew by 5%, and the total growth is $278 million. Then you can deduct from that the revenue, the sales figure generated by these sub-segment, enterprise services, in 2018. As growth was 278, which was representing 5% of total sales, then you understand that sales are 5.6 billion, which is 278 divided by 5%. Good news. Now you have the revenues generated by enterprise services. You can deduct from that, with a very sophisticated mathematical transformation, which is named subtraction, the revenue of service product and cloud. Because as the sum is 32.2 and enterprise service 5.6, then SPNC is 26.6. We can also calculate the growth of SPNC. Because the total growth in absolute terms is 6.8 billion. And the growth for enterprise services is about 0.3 then the growth for SPNC by difference is 6.5. And you also provided very interesting information, which is Azure is growing by 72% and the rest of the subsegment is up by 6%. Then if you know the relative percentage of growth and you know the total growth, then you can deduct the Azure revenues. You use mathematics, you consider X as an unknown, which is a sales figure of Azure in 2018. And you say, okay, Azure is growing by 72%. So the growth in absolute terms is going to be X times 72%. And the rest of the business, which is 26.6 minus X, is growing by 6%. And the sum of these two figures is 6.5%. Then you solve the equation, the linear equation, with one unknown, and you get X, which is Azure revenues in 2018, 7.4 billion. Then you can deduct from that the revenues generated by Azure in 2019, which is 12.7. And you do exactly the same calculation to get to the revenue in 2017. $4 4 billion, which is confirmed by the growth rate of 90%. No problem. Then you have these three figures. Then, of course, you get the figures for Azure sales, but you have to do some calculation, not very sophisticated calculation on a mathematical point of view, but you have to deep dive in the information to try to figure out the figures of revenues, which is quite important for Azure. Now, which information is provided in the accounts of Microsoft? Some PL information? Sales? But you remember that Azure has to be computed, calculated. Operating income? No operating income information about Azure. What about balance sheet, cash flow statement? The answer is nil. Now, what about Google? Well, the bad news is that for Google, it's even worse. In the Alphabet 10K report 2019, You have two segments. One is Google and the other one is named Other Bets. Google is absolutely dominant and Other Bets is absolutely negligible. Now, in this segment, which is Google, you have some information about Google Cloud. But Google Cloud represents Google Cloud Platform, (GCP). The equivalent of Azure, the G Suite, and other enterprise cloud services with absolutely no information about any split between these three activities. So which information do you have? Google Cloud 4 billion, 5.8, 8.9 in 2019. It represents about 5% of the total. Absolutely no information about the content of that. We have more information for Alibaba. If you read the 20F report of Alibaba, which is the annual report of this Chinese company listed in New York, you observe that the company is number three in the world and it is confirmed by Gardner Group. No problem about that. And they provide any kind of PAAS or IAAS. Now, Alibaba provides some information about its cloud activity. First, you have the revenues. In a uh, uh, Renminbi you have six point six billion in twenty sixteen. Up to 13, up to 24, up to 40 billion in 2019. So it's growing at a very, very high rate. And just as a matter of information, what does it mean in terms of US dollars in 2019? It is about 5.6 billion US dollars. So it's a big activity. It represents a growing percentage of the total revenues of the company from 4% in 2016 to 8% today. What is also very interesting is that the company is providing some information about its profit, But the profit is a loss. The operating income, the income from operations, a kind of earnings before interest and taxes, is negative by almost 1 billion in 2019. The adjusted EBITDA is itself negative by 200 million. I'm going to go back in a minute on the adjusted EBITDA, but it means that definitely the company has not yet reached breakeven and far from that. Now, which kind of detailed accounting information you can get from the Alibaba Annual Report? P&L information, sales, revenues year after year, operating income, which you remember is strongly negative, depreciation and amortization, so that you can calculate EBITDA and you have an idea about the capital intensity of the company, and stock-based compensation throughout the years. This is an important point. I'm going to get back on this point in a minute. As far as the balance sheet is concerned, you are provided the goodwill, which is quite interesting because you remember that goodwill is about, again, internal versus external growth. Cash flow statement, no data, just an announcement made by Jack Ma. And Jack Ma says, well, in the next years, we are going to invest 200 billion renminbis, which represents something like 28 billion US dollars. And that's all. Now, when you compare the return on sales, the commercial profitability of Amazon against versus Alibaba, this is quite interesting because for Amazon, the profitability is there. Now, if you calculate the return on sales for Amazon, it is 20% in 2013, goes down for operating reasons to 10% only, and then it's 20 and 20 plus and almost 30% in 2018. So it's very profitable at Amazon. You remember, it was profitable at Microsoft, even though it was difficult to make the split between Azure and the rest of the intelligent cloud segment. But when you look at Alibaba, the EBIT is very negative, from minus 25 to minus 18, something like that. Now you can watch on a graph in between, in green, the Alibaba adjusted EBITA. What does it mean, EBITA? It means earnings before interest and taxes, and amortization of intangible assets, such as goodwill. And adjusted means that you take out of the calculation of the operating expenses, the stock-based compensations. Why? Because it is a non-cash item. But even though you deduct from the operating expenses a stock-based compensation, which is quite significant at Alibaba, you're not at break-even. So you're very far from Amazon. And then the question is, why is it so profitable at Amazon? Why is it so profitable at Microsoft? And why it's not profitable at Alibaba? You could say, ah, it's because Alibaba is growing, but it is not yet the same size, which is absolutely wrong, because in 2019 the revenues at Alibaba are 5 to 6 billion, which is basically the situation of Amazon in 2014-2015. And at that time, the EBIT on sales was about 10 to 20%. So already Amazon was making a profit. Why is Alibaba making a loss? Do we have any information about that? And the answer: we have no information. Information at all to explain the difference. Now, as a kind of wrap up and summary, which kind of information do we have for the big four? We have the sales figure for AWS, Azure, after some calculations. I position Alibaba with 5.7, third place, even though uh, Google is a higher figure because Gardner says, well, within GCP you have less than Alibaba. That's it. Sales growth we can calculate more or less in italic for google because it's very difficult to figure out what is really cloud strictly speaking and what is about services ebit we have some information for amazon we have some information for alibaba we have nothing for microsoft and even less for google and we have some ebit on sales which is kind of macroeconomic for uh, microsoft we have some figures for amazon and for alibaba And that's it. So we don't have much. But that's about segment reporting for listed companies. When you are listed, you have to comply with what is imposed by very large organizations in charge of accounting. There's a standard which is provided by IASB, which is IAS 8 since 2009, and the equivalent for FASB, which is named SFAS 131 since 97. And they say, well, segment reporting should show in the annual report when it's significant. IASB even says uh, when sales and profit or losses and balance sheet for the segment is more than 10%, then you should do something. But the information is mostly limited to P&L. Generally speaking, sometimes you have to provide some balance sheet item limited to the segment total assets. No detail at all about the working capital requirements, such as inventories or receivables. You just have to be able to reconcile the segment figures with the group figures. About capital expenditures or any item in a cash flow statement, the answer is nil. Last but not least, the information which is provided is simply the one which is internally used, and it should not be compatible, necessarily compatible with the gaps When you read the annual report of a company, very often you can read, oh, we calculate the EBITDA that way. It should not be compliant with gaps. No problem. This is our way to calculate the EBITDA. Period. So, this is what is provided as a requirement from IASB and FASB which is not very strict. Now a few comments to end this vidcast. Of course, you have to provide information which should not be confidential. If you provide too much information in your annual report, then your competitors will know everything which is happening in the company, and it's going to be at the detriment of the value of the company because it's going to be at the detriment of its competitive sustainability. So you should not go too far, obviously. But of course, also, you have some information asymmetry in the market, which basically means that the company knows much more about what is happening in the company than the investors, the financial analysts, or any stakeholder outside the company. Then, in order to reduce a little bit this information asymmetry, there should be some information. You have some information inside the annual report, which is extremely limited, as I try to demonstrate. You have access to some outside information, which is provided by very serious and professional institutions, such as Garner Group, Foresters, and some others. But you know what? A perfect market, which is something we should aim at, is a market in which information is available and free. And when you want to have access to information from Gardner and Forrester, you don't have information, you have estimates, and these estimates are far from being free so probably there should be a little bit of an additional effort towards more transparency in the cloud computing accounting information thank you very much